One of Northland New Zealand's newest attractions is a building that, from a distance, looks like a toddler's birthday cake. Bright, clashing colours, crowned by a golden coupler that sparkles in the sun. On closer inspection, it's the work of the late Friedrichsreich Hundestrasse, the Austrian artist and organic architect. His distinctive buildings can be found in many countries across Europe, in California's Napa Valley, in Israel, in Japan. But, Justine, you were not in any of these countries when you discovered the architect's, well, almost forgotten work, which is across the ditch in New Zealand. No, I wasn't in uh, Europe at all. I was in uh, Whangarei, which is a small regional town two hours north of Auckland in Northland, New Zealand. And I was extremely surprised to discover that uh, one of my favourite artists and uh, architects, Friedensreich Hundertwasser, had spent many, many, many years in New Zealand. And after he died, they decided to create uh, an art centre, a cultural centre dedicated to him. And in fact, the art centre itself was designed by him. He was originally commissioned to create a cultural centre, but as I said, after his death, they decided to dedicate it to him. Wow, that's that's fascinating. I didn't pronounce his name very well, but uh, you know, it's it's one of those typical Germanic uh, names. Uh, but it's not something. He, did he have any contact with Australia? Um, I don't believe he did. I think there was some discussion when he uh, designed a flag for New Zealand. It's called the Koru flag, and it's very popular. It's not their national flag, but it is used widely. And there was some discussion, I believe, that he could do the same for Australia, but it actually didn't really go anywhere. But he did love New Zealand, and he made his home there for many years, although he continued to travel the world. Um, and in fact, the farm that he built with um, a house that follows his distinctive architectural style um, is going to be open to the public later this year. That's called Karanui, and people will be able to have special small group tours of his farm. Uh, so one of his beliefs was that architecture should not be dictated by straight lines. So if you visited the Hundertwasser House in Vienna or any of his other buildings around the world, you'll notice that the houses are curving and kind of voluptuous. There aren't straight windows. There are bright colours. There are a distinctive use of tiles. He likes to have trees growing out of windows, trees on roofs. It really is something that could come out of a, a, a child's fantasy. But in fact, when you see them up close, they're delightful and very easy to be in. They somehow appeal to humans' desire to have tactile, warm, almost living organic spaces. It's, it's really quite remarkable. I'm obviously a big fan, which is why I was so excited to discover that um, he has this history in New Zealand when I recently visited. But I'm not the only one. He's actually uh, revered all around the world. How did you um, come in to get in touch? Well, not get in touch, but how did you discover this man? Well, I discovered the first time I went to Vienna, which was several decades ago now, really one on one of my early sort of backpacking trips around um, uh, Europe. 
uh, he created this incredible public housing building in the middle of Vienna and it actually is a private building people live there but it's so distinctive that it became quickly a tourist attraction and now very close by to this distinctive building there is a museum to Hundertwasser's work so he was always on my radar um, I was always looking out for his architecture in different places and his art as well he wasn't just an organic architect in fact he never trained as an architect it was just part of his philosophy of, of, of life so as you do when you're planning a trip and this was simply a holiday in New Zealand um, I had never been to Northland so I started to do some research about the the best things to do when you go there and I discovered that during the pandemic um, this art centre had been opened and because New Zealand was closed for such a long time uh, during the pandemic and in fact opened up to the world um, after Australia um, very few people had heard about it and in yeah. fact very few journalists had been there to visit it and review it and in fact I think my piece might actually be the first uh, article about the cultural centre outside New Zealand. Of course, wow. in his in New Zealand it was widely covered, but not in Australia or anywhere else in the world, simply because journalists couldn't get there. And you might remember that after New Zealand opened up, it then suffered some terrible storms and flooding, yeah. and that also prevented people heading north of Auckland to access that part of uh, the North Island. Yeah. Well, I guess people should thank you for bringing to our attention such an unusual and uh, well, a prolific uh, architect too. He's you know all around the world. Yes, absolutely, and it's not just his architecture. He had very strong uh, philosophy of protecting the earth. During the nineteen seventies, he created a really distinctive series of posters, which was all about protecting the environment. And when you go to the exhibition and look at some of these posters, many of them were um, designed specifically for New Zealand. You can't help but think that he was an incredibly prescient artist, because all of these posters are so relevant now as we um, think about climate change and caring for our environment. I suspect that with this cultural centre. Um, there will be a real resurgence in interest and respect for Hundertwasser. Mm, just uh, absolutely incredible. And I can imagine that uh, somebody who creates uh, the, the shapes and the colours that he does, uh, that would stand out in Austria, which is pretty straight up and down, pretty straight-laced palaces. And, um, you know, the architecture there is, is not um, out of the ordinary, is it? No, not at all. And I think even though, you know, particularly people who come from uh, countries like uh, Australia or the United States where there isn't that, you know, centuries old history of architecture, you're going there to experience these beautiful buildings that are hundreds of years old. They're so elegant. They're so... Um, they're so wonderful to look at. It is quite a surprise to be wandering through one of the oldest parts of Vienna and come across this incredibly bright, chaotic building. But it gets such a positive response. And I think actually the fact that it is located in and amongst those sort of 18th century, 17th century buildings makes it even more powerful. Mm. Is he the answer to Barcelona's Gaudi? I think you can definitely draw a connection between Gaudi and Hundertwasser. He's also, particularly in his artwork, been linked to Egon Schiele, who's another very, very famous Austrian artist. And 
obviously he was influenced by those two artists. Okay. But he was born before the Second World War. He was actually Jewish and uh, lost many of his family um, during the Holocaust. And I think you can see the influence of what was happening in Europe prior to the war and the influence of the absolute devastation in Europe um, to his philosophy and how he wanted to live his life following those events. And he only died this century, didn't he? He died in the year 2000, so it's 24 years since his death. Right. And if you were going to visit the the Northland uh, site in New Zealand, how long would you want to spend there? Uh, I think it's definitely worth um, an afternoon or right. even even a day if you're really, really passionate about him. Um, it's only two hours from Auckland, but I think if you're heading to Northland, I would definitely make it part of a road trip. Um, you mentioned earlier a toilet block, which might come as a surprise to some people, but one of the first pieces of architecture he did was in a small town of uh, called Kawakawa, which is north of Whangarei, on the way to the Bay of Islands, where he has created the most extraordinary public toilet. It was built in 1999 right. and um, became a tourist attraction again in its own right. But I'm happy to say that it is fully functioning and if you do need to have a stop on your road trip, Kawakawa is a great place to do it because okay. <laughs> it's not just useful, it's actually an experience all on its own. Oh, that's a fantastic story, Justine. I love it. Now, if people um, want to uh, follow this up, we'll put a link in our show notes. Uh, well, first thing you want to do is spell his name. That's, uh, uh, that's a mouthful. But we'll put a link there, and uh, that'll take people to the Art Centre. Is that right? Um, yes, you can get a link straight to the Art Centre. Um, and to and your you can... story in The Guardian? Yes, and you can also find that story in The Guardian Beautiful. Australia. Thanks, Justine. That's something different on Travel Writers Radio, but a wonderful, a wonderful story all the same. This is the Travel Writers Show on J Air eighty eight FM in Melbourne. Well, that's Travel Writers Radio for this week. A reminder that if you missed our regular broadcast from five pm to seven on a Wednesday, our shows repeated Saturdays from one till three right here on J Air eighty eight FM in Melbourne. It's also live on the internet at j aircomau Our stories are readily available via our website travelwritersradio.com, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. Travel Writers Radio is a production of Palette, the professional association of lifestyle and travel writers. So until next week, it's good night from me, Justine Costigan. And it's good night from me, Graham Kemlo. Thanks for listening. Free and I fire burn.